Well, good morning. How many rule breakers out there? A few. All right, my name's Dean Hoffman, and I'm one of the pastors here at Alpine, and we are concluding our series on culture wars today. And uh, really, that whole series is about how we as temporary residents are to respond to the culture that we find ourselves in. And so if you've been with us or if you haven't been with us, um, week one, we really took a look at the fact that as temporary residents, there's going to be trials, and trials are inevitable. And in week two, uh, we looked at how we were supposed to act, how we're supposed to um, be um, in our relationships. Um, with others. <clears throat> Sorry about that. And then I had that cold. I thought it was gone. And then in week three, <clears throat> we define the family in opposition to what maybe the culture was defining the family as. And then last week we looked at the war within. There's just not a war outside, but there's also a war within that we have to fight. And this week we're going to look at Peter's um, final battle instructions for us as temporary residents in this culture that we find ourselves in. And although these are not Peter's last words of his life, they are his last words as it relates to this culture war, and it's the last words that he's giving in this letter in 1 Peter. And usually last words are sometimes really important. Um, and so I thought, you know, it might be a good idea to look at some people's last words, see if last words are really important. So um, I looked up some last words of some people. Nathan Hale, I don't know if that name rings a bell, <clears throat> but what he says, sorry. But what he says, um, you'll probably remember. <clears throat> he was a 20... <coughs> I'm going to grab something real quick here. Maybe it'll help. Sorry. Old uh, teacher who turned into a spy, and right before he was hung, he said, I only regret that I have but one life to lose for my country. And many of you are aware of that. Jane Austen, really sorry about this, um, 41 years old, uh, had a terrible disease, thanks, and uh, her last words unfortunately were, I want nothing but death. Marie Antoinette, um, her words are very interesting. 
Um, I'll give them to you, and then I'll tell you about it. She said, pardon me, sir, I did not do it on purpose. She actually stepped on her executioner's foot um, and made that comment before they executed her. And I'm sure that wasn't her intended last words. And as I looked at other people's last words, it really was kind of disappointing because they weren't um, all that uh, exciting or inspirational or encouraging. Most were downright depressing or hopeless. And an example of that is uh, George Patton. And George Patton, we know, was a hero in some senses and helped in the war um, and helped win the war in Europe. And he came home, and if you know the story, he came home and he was involved in a car accident and was paralyzed. And in the same month that he was paralyzed, um, he died. And George Patton's last words were, this is a hell of a way to die. Fortunately, Peter's words here in first chapter, in first Peter chapter five, are not depressing and they're not hopeless. What is interesting about Peter's last words here are that they're eerily similar to words that Jesus gave some 30 years before in his last gathering with his disciples at the Passover. And many of us are familiar with the beginning of that conversation that Jesus had with his disciples. In fact, we celebrated it today. Jesus talked about the breaking of the bread and the giving of the cup. But that wasn't the end of that conversation that night. After initiating the Lord's Supper, Jesus goes on to give some final instructions to his disciples about how they should act and how they should respond as temporary residents, very similar to the words that we find Peter giving in chapter five here. This morning we are going to be comparing Jesus' instructions to his disciples that was given in about 33 AD with Peter's instructions to the church some 30 years later. So before we do that, let's pray. Um, Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this morning. I thank you for people's patience, and I just pray that um, you'd help with my voice so that we wouldn't have any more issues as we move forward, and that your message, your word um, would be received, that we would understand what you have for us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So the first similarity in the instructions between the two is the approach to battle with humility. Approach the battle with humility. And in Luke 22, 24 through 26, Jesus says, um, these are the, the words in Luke 22, 24 through 26. Then they begin to argue among themselves about who would be the greatest among them. And Jesus told them, 
In this world, the kings and great men lord it over their people. But among you, it will be different. Those who are the greatest among you should take the lowest rank, and the leader should be like a servant. You need to get the picture here. So we're here at the last, at the Passover dinner. Um, Jesus has just been talking about the cup and the breaking of the bread and his body. And then in the book of John, it tells us that Jesus girded a towel and began to wash his disciples' feet. And if you remember that story, it was Peter that when Jesus came to him, Peter said, no, you're not going to wash my feet. And the Lord said, well, if I don't wash your feet, then you have nothing to do with me. And Peter said, oh, okay, well then, don't just wash my feet, wash my hands and my head too. I want all of it. And so Jesus was washing their feet, and after Jesus washed their feet, it says that Jesus was troubled in spirit, and he began to tell them that one of them was going to betray them, betray him. And this brought on a conversation between them about, well, who is it going to be? And once again, it's Peter who goes to John, who's reclining next to Jesus, and says to John, hey, ask Jesus who this one is going to be. And so you think that this setting would be a somber setting. You think the disciples would be somewhat contrite. And yet, what happens next is really amazing because as they're discussing who is going to betray Jesus, all of a sudden there's a conversation and a dispute about who is going to be the greatest among them. And I don't have a doubt about it that it was Peter that initiated that conversation, and it was probably Peter who thought he was the greatest. And this wasn't the first conversation that the disciples had about who was going to be the greatest. Um, James and John, several weeks before, in front of the other disciples, had asked Jesus to grant them the right to sit on their right-hand side of Jesus and the left-hand side of Jesus in glory. And the disciples became very indignant about that. And I think they became indignant about that not because um, they thought that James and John, um, you know, were out of line for asking that. They were indignant because they thought they should be the ones sitting at the right-hand side and the left-hand side of the Father. And Jesus. And Jesus' response there to James and John is the same response he gave here, which is if you're going to be the greatest, then you have to serve. It's about serving. Peter didn't get that initially. It took him a while to figure this out. But 30 years later, his instructions to the church are very similar. 1 Peter 5, 5 through 6. And all of you, dress yourselves in humility as you relate to one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So humble yourselves under the mighty power of God, and at the right time he will lift you up in honor. 
Funny thing about pride, it carries a sense of being better than others. And when you think you're better than others, you don't really tend to serve other people. You can sit, sit back and feel good about yourself, and you can sit back and feel good about the fact that you're correct and that you're right, and you can watch the rest of the world go to hell in a handbasket, but if you do, God says he opposes you. Peter here starts off by saying, dress yourselves, and it's actually a picture of a servant putting on his apron. Isn't that exactly what Jesus did by clothing himself in a towel and washing his disciples' feet? And this is what Peter is telling the church to do, to become a servant and put on a robe. Philippians 2, 3 through 4 says, but with humility of mind, let each of you regard one another as more important than himself. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. but emptied himself, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Some of you um, are Star Wars fans. Any Star Wars fans? Good. So um, you know about the new shows, The Mandalorian and Bobo Fett. And so I, my family's really into that. I don't quite understand all of it, but... I did watch The Mandalorian, and um, it was interesting because <clears throat> in order to be a Mandalorian, there are certain requirements, and a couple of the requirements are is that you have to wear this outfit, um, this armor, and this armor, including this helmet, and you can't take the helmet off, but this helmet, I guess, protects you from that, you know, labor, whatever, Saber or whatever. Um, uh, so, anyways, um, so that's part of being a Mandalorian. And then also to be part of Mandalorian, you have to speak the language and you have to contribute to the clan's welfare. And so, um, and whenever you're questioned about any of those things, if you're a Mandalorian, your response is anybody? This is the way. Well, humility leading to service is the way of a follower of Jesus. We are to be followers of Jesus and take his lead. And Jesus was very humble in serving those that even opposed God's truth. And we may ask ourselves, okay, if I go ahead and if I actually serve others, if I actually become vulnerable, if I actually take the risk, who's got my back? 
Well, if you remember back to 1 Peter 5, 5 through 6, it ends by saying, under the mighty power of God. The power of God towards you has your back. There's no greater power. Ephesians tells us that the power of God that works towards us is the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. That power works towards you and has your back. The bottom line is that the culture war that we battle is not fighting those that disagree with us. It's serving those that disagree with us. I want you to consider that. Because I think if we got that point, and it didn't take us 30 years like it took Peter, it could change the world around us. We wouldn't see a lot of the division that we currently see. Humility is the means by which we can serve. The second similarity between Jesus' instructions to his disciples and Peter's instructions 30 years later is that Satan is the real enemy, not culture. While Peter is reclining at that table, thinking about being the greatest disciple of all, there was another event taking place that he wasn't even aware of. He was clueless that would make all of his arguments irrelevant. We see it, oops, we see it in Luke 22, 31 through 32. It says, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift each of you like wheat. But I have pleaded in prayer for you, Simon, that your faith should not fail. We all know what happens next. Peter, the one who cuts off the high priest's slave's ear, the one who boldly says he will never deny Christ and will follow him to his death, denies Christ three times before the rooster crows. His faith was being sifted right before his very eyes. Was it the Roman centurions? Was it the religious leaders? Sounds very sim similar to Job. Job was a very affluent individual, and Satan came to the Lord and said, you know, I see this guy Job, and he's very blessed, but I know he serves you, but if you took away his blessings, if you allowed me to take away his blessings, he's going to curse you. And the Lord's response was, he is in your power, just don't take his life. Satan was allowed to destroy Job's life, and he was allowed to sift Peter's faith. But there were restrictions, and after Peter's faith was sifted, Jesus prayed that his faith would be restored, 
And not only that his faith be restored, that he would also be used to strengthen his brothers. Peter was a bit ignorant about the schemes of the devil when he started this all out. But 30 years later, his comments reflect that he is aware of what's taking place. <clears throat> First Peter 5, 8, and 9. Stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Stand firm against him and be strong in the faith. This is a pretty strong warning, and it's very similar to what Paul says in Ephesians. Ephesians 6, 12 through 13, for we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God, and having done everything, to stand firm. We can get very energetic, very zealous about standing up for God's truth. We could get involved socially, politically, religiously, and it's not necessarily wrong that we do that, but how much time do we really spend ensuring that we're standing firm against our real enemy? Is our focus as much on prayer as it is on petitions? Is our focus as much on reading God's word as it is writing on social media blogs? Is our focus as much as walking in the spirit as it is in standing for demonstrations? Let's not repeat Peter's mistake of quickly cutting off the ear, and I don't think he was trying to cut off the ear. He was probably trying to kill the guy. But don't, let's not make our, the same mistake that Peter makes of quickly cutting off a high priest's ear when the reality was that the real enemy was about to leave, you know, leave him bare. The battle we fight is a battle for maintaining our faith as we walk through this life filled with trials and suffering that sometimes the enemy is trying to take away from us. It's not a battle of being right. It's not a battle of always making sure our position wins out. How much time do we give fighting those that we oppose versus putting on our armor and serving those and serving those that we don't agree with. The third similarity of the instructions 
between Jesus and Peter is to trust God for the ultimate victory. Luke 22, 28 through 30. Jesus says, You have stayed with me in my time of trial. And just as my Father has granted me a kingdom, I now grant you the right to eat and drink at my table in my kingdom. And you will sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. I find it interesting what is not said here. Jesus doesn't say that the victory will be that you win the cultural war. He doesn't say they will be victorious and not be reviled for the name of Jesus Christ. He doesn't say that they're going to bring in the literal rule of Christ. He says that their victory will be on the other side of this life. Eternity. And Peter's message is very similar in chapter 5, 10 through 11 to the church. He says, in his kindness, God called you to share in his eternal glory by means of Jesus Christ. So after you have suffered a little while, he will restore support and strengthen you and he will place you on a firm foundation. All power to him forever. Amen. Our victory is sharing in his eternal glory. That's our ultimate victory. And Peter makes it clear that there's a role for us to play in that victory, and there's a role that God plays in that victory. What's our role? Well, 1 Peter 5, 9 says, but resist him, speaking of the devil, firm in your faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. We are to resist. We are to stand and suffer for a time. For Peter and the other disciples, that standing firm and suffering, including suffering for Christ to the point of giving their life for Christ. Peter, just a couple years after this, is crucified upside down at his request. His brother Andrew was bound on a cross that was an X and hung alive for two days while he exhorted spectators. Bartholomew was skinned alive and crucified. James, the brother of John, was beheaded. The other James, the first bishop of Jerusalem, was thrown from the pinnacle of the temple at Jerusalem and then stoned. Jude was beaten with a club and crucified. Matthew was staked and speared to the ground. Philip was tortured and paled by iron hooks attached to his ankles and hung upside down. Simon was martyred and sawn in two. Thomas was thrust through by a spear. It was only John who died a natural death. When I was a young believer, they used to give these spiritual gift 
surveys. I don't know if any of you experienced that before. I think they've gotten away from that. But many years ago, they'd have you fill out this survey. And I think that concept or the idea was that it would lead you to understand what your spiritual gifts were so that you could begin to engage in them and practice them. So I was young, and so I took this survey, and I took it like two times, and both times I took this survey, the spiritual gift that showed up was being a martyr. I, I, I couldn't quite understand that because I couldn't understand how that was a gift. Um, and if it was a gift, it was a gift that you could only use once. Um, so I just, it just didn't register with me. Um, but I've always remembered that. But maybe, you know, you and I will not be or have to be martyrs for Jesus Christ like his disciples were. But we are called to stand firm. We are called to stand firm and suffer through trials in a culture that is opposed to God's truth. Well, what's God's responsibility? What's God's role in this ultimate victory? 1 Peter 5.10, and after you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. God brings about the victory. God gives us the faith, and he ensures in the end that we share in his glory for eternity. You know, Peter ends the book the same way he started the book, focusing on God being the author and perfecter of our faith and ensuring that we share in that glory. Let's go back to the beginning of 1 Peter, chapter 1, 3 through 5. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are protected by the power of God through faith for his salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Protected by the power of God. Our ultimate victory is sharing in his eternal glory. I think Peter's instructions are pretty clear. The question is, Are we following them? Are we humbly serving others? Not just others that we want to humbly serve, but maybe some that we don't want to serve. 
Are we fighting the right battle? Are we fighting the right enemy? Are we trusting God for the ultimate victory? Let's pray. Father, I just ask that what you would have for the individuals here today, that they've received it. Lord, I pray that if some of us are struggling with pride and not really at a place where we're serving others, that we're more interested in being opposed to them than serving them, I just ask, Lord, that you would touch our hearts, that you would cause us to take action in this area. Lord, I pray for those of us that may be fighting the wrong battle, fighting the wrong enemy, spending our time in the wrong areas. I just ask that you would bring us to a point of understanding who our real enemy is helping us to stand firm and putting on our armor. And Father, I also pray for maybe those of us that have a fear about the future and that we're unsure about this ultimate victory. I pray that you would fill our hearts with the truth that our faith is from you. And that that faith, you will bring it about so that we will share in your eternal glory. We thank you for your word. We thank you for this morning. We just ask that you would move in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.